This morning's reading comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 13, the Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Amen. Thank you, Mark, very much indeed. So in our noisy world today, we have papers to read, radio to listen to, television live or catch up on endless channels. We have Facebook posts, WhatsApp messages, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, phone calls, texts, voice messages, and people around us. And so there is a constant flow of noise and communication in all directions. This phone is a constant feed of information, requests and actions. It can be very handy at times, it can be very obtrusive at times. Back in 2015, there was a survey that suggested that many adults spent more time on their phones, tablets and laptops than they do sleeping. That may seem absolutely incredible, and it obviously depends a lot on what someone does during the day. But there's no question that that kind of medium has become a large part of many people's lives. And most people are what uh, are generally known as multi-platformers. That means combining the time spent on desktops, laptops, tablets, and phones. They're all different variations on the same kind of thing. And it adds up to a lot of time receiving and delivering information. And there are those for whom the radio and the TV are constant companions. There are many people that will have something on in the car, sound that's delivered either through the radio or on the phone. Many people will have access to an infinite supply of music and film through Spotify, Netflix, or similar accounts. This is the world 
that we live in today. In our noisy world, always listen to Jesus. And this is the overarching theme that we're considering on Sunday mornings and to some extent on some of our Sunday evenings coming up to Easter. It is a noisy world. It's a world full of communication of all different kinds. And from next Sunday onwards, we're looking especially at what Jesus said in some of the words that we call the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Just very short sayings, one a week. And some Sunday evenings, we'll look at some of the other sayings of Jesus later in Matthew 5. And on our special Sunday evenings that Peter was talking about, from John's Gospel, we look at some stories. Simply Jesus. And in doing all of this, we don't just hear what Jesus said many years ago, but we actually need to put ourselves in the place where we're hearing what Jesus is saying now. The way Jesus speaks to us today is often to take something that's recorded in Scripture, and those words speak into our lives now. The written word becomes the living word and a powerful word. And the Holy Spirit brings about changes because we're hearing what Jesus said. And by hearing what Jesus said, we are hearing in a different sense and in a deeper sense what Jesus is saying now. And as a way into all of this series and the whole idea of listening to Jesus and taking some of the sayings of Jesus as we will and the stories of Jesus in the coming weeks, just as a way into all of that, this morning, the scene that we sometimes call the story of the transfiguration that Mark read to us just now. Because here was a moment when the disciples were told to listen to Jesus. There was a lot of other stuff going on. But they said, here is my own dear son. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. The story will be familiar to some of you, maybe new to others of you. The time when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain, where there was a supernatural experience, where they met with Moses and Elijah from generations past, where Jesus' garments became dazzling white, whiter than they could ever be in human terms. And Peter wanted to erect some tents, so that they could all stay there. But that was not to happen. And then within moments, a cloud spread over them and a voice spoke from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And after the cloud lifted, Moses and Elijah had gone and only Jesus remained. What do we make of this story where the disciples were told to listen to Jesus? Well, the story begins six days after something else. It's very precise as Mark records this. He says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. So inevitably, we want to say, well, what had gone on before? Six days after what? And as we read back, we find that it was six days after Jesus had met with the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, and Peter had spoken out to declare that Jesus was the Messiah the son of the living God, and Jesus had warned the disciples 
that very soon he was going to die. And he called them to follow him in the way of the cross. So some of the very profound and disturbing moments in Jesus' meeting and teaching with the disciples took place there at Caesarea Philippi. And now it's six days later. And something else happened. Those moments at Caesarea Philippi, when the disciples came to realize who Jesus really was, the profound challenge of Christian discipleship, that listening to him and follow him, following him is a whole new way of life and such an important way of life. There were many doubts in their minds. Is this really true? What will it actually mean for me? asked Peter, James, John and the other disciples to be a follower of this person, Jesus. And this was the right time for a very special confirmation of the purposes of God. That's what happened six days later. They went up a mountain. Where did they go? Well, traditionally, many people think that this story of the transfiguration took place in what is now known as Mount Tabor in Galilee. And that's a very compact mountain that rises steeply on all sides. And actually, the only way to get up there these days is by taxi. I rather like this image of the mountain because it shows the road, and you can see that it's quite a winding pass, a winding road that makes its way up the mountain. And if you go up there on a taxi, uh, the taxi drivers are doing it all the time, so they don't go slowly. They go racing up the mountain, and then, of course, others come down the mountain as well. Uh, and they meet each other every now and again. So it's quite a hair-raising journey to get up to the top of Mount Tabor. Maybe that's where this took place. But there are those who say, well, there's no evidence that it was actually on Mount Tabor, although the early Christians thought it was and put a special building up at the top of the mountain. But given that six days before this scene, they were at Caesarea Philippi, that was much further north. And just north of Caesarea Philippi is another mountain, a much bigger mountain, Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon, interestingly, is snow-capped for quite a lot of the year. And it's also something of a similar scale to uh, Mount Sinai, where the law was given in the time of Moses, Mount Carmel, where Elijah had very significant encounters with God. So maybe it was Mount Hermon, where Jesus was transfigured into a brightness that was even brighter than the snow, and where the others met him. At the end, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter. But I tend to imagine that it was quite a trek for Jesus to take Peter, James, and John as they made their way either north up to Mount Hermon or south up to Mount Tabor. And then when they got there, Jesus was amazingly transfigured before them. And Matthew adds some more detail that's not in Mark's account, that his face shone like the sun, his clothes became bright, whiter than anyone could make them, whiter than the snow which may well have been the background to this scene. And they witnessed the glory of Christ. Here was the confirmation that Jesus was no ordinary person. Here was the moment when they witnessed that Jesus was someone very, very special. 
Here was the balance, if you like, to the devastating news that Jesus was soon to suffer deeply and to die on the cross. They had heard that. And now they were seeing Jesus transformed in wonderful brightness, glimpsing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we need these transfiguration moments where we glimpse something of the glory of God, something of the wonder of God, when we actually sense that when we're listening to the voice of Jesus, when we're looking at the words of Jesus, when we are worshipping Jesus, this is no ordinary stuff. We are in the presence of Almighty God. And we glimpse something of the glory and the wonder of Jesus, the true Messiah, the Saviour of the world. In this moment, Peter, James and John were joined by Moses and Elijah. And that makes the story even more special. People who'd lived many years previously, of course. But between them, they represented the law and the prophets. And interestingly, both of them had had previous experiences of God on the tops of mountains. Moses on Mount Sinai with the giving of the law. Elijah on Mount Carmel with the contest of the prophets of Baal. If you like, it was a spiritual flashback to earlier years that brought the whole nation together, past and present, coming together in this amazing moment of transfiguration. But that wasn't the key moment of the scene because then the cloud came and, and Moses and Elijah were taken from them. The key moment of the scene was when Peter, James and John were left with Jesus alone. And God spoke to them. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. When the party had ended and the cloud had lifted, there was Jesus. Jesus whose glory and deity and power was seen in this moment of transfiguration. Christ who is the Lord of all remained on the mountain and the voice of God said, here is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And as other people come and go, Jesus remains. His presence is unseen, but not unknown. He invites us this morning to reach out and to listen to him. And we're not just listening to the words he spoke in the past. We are listening to the active presence of his Holy Spirit now. He invites us to reach out in faith, to know the warmth of his love, the challenge of his presence, the wonder of his forgiveness, the power of his spirit. He urges us to listen to his voice and to kneel in awe and wonder before him. Of all that God might have said to Peter, James and John in this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, the message from God was, this is my own son whom I love. Listen to him. Nothing about what Peter, James, and John themselves might have been or were likely to do. It was all about Jesus. Listen to Jesus. That was the key. And the actual verb that's translated listen, many of you know that the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language. And that word for listen means to hear, to attend, to perceive by hearing, to understand by hearing. 
It's almost as if it's a kind of listening beneath the surface. It's not just listening to words. It's listening to a deeper presence. It's a word that's used in the parable of the sower. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. It's used in the book of Revelation, in the messages to the churches. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. It's used in many other places in the Bible. It's so easy to miss the voice of Jesus in our complex lives. And we've been called today to listen carefully to him. So how do we listen to Jesus today? But there are some things that we do need to do. How do we listen to Jesus today? I want to suggest to you this morning five very simple steps. And the first is to clear space from all other voices. All that noisy world that is around us, that comes crushing in every moment of the day, clear some space if you're really going to listen to Jesus and focus on what God is saying in your life. The words of Psalm 46:10, "Be still and know that I am God." Be still. There is a place for stillness. And real stillness doesn't come instantly. It takes time. And we have to clear the space from all those other voices if we can really listen to Jesus. That's the first step. And for some people, that will take a while. For some, that means you need to journey into a couple of minutes of silence before you read the scriptures, before you pray. Because otherwise, just what you read and what you say is just almost dampened by all the other communications that are around. Or it may be something to do with setting aside a longer period of time, less frequently. What actually happens is different for each person. But clear space from all the other voices. And then the second step is to use the Bible as a way to connect. Joyce Huggett, in her book, Listening to God, refers to the Bible as the touchstone of listening. The stepping stone to the voice of God. And Dallas Willard, in his book, Hearing God, says that the permanent address of which the word of God may be found is the Bible. Because these are words that God has spoken through human agents. And these are words that last for all time. And the words of Jesus are timeless in their value. And the words of others that are recorded in strict scripture have constant meaning to us. This is a body of text through which God has spoken and continues to speak. So use the Bible as a way to connect. One of the most powerful messages I have heard from God in recent months was part of a sermon here that was preached by one of the congregation in the autumn. And there was a particular verse in that sermon, a verse of scripture that stood out for me. And I'm holding on to it even now because I sensed that that was an important message from God. Use the Bible as a way to connect. And then the third step is to allow God to speak into your character 
Don't just expect messages from God that are kind of step-by-step uh, -step instructions as to what you're to do next. God is as much concerned for who you are and who I am as what we do. So allow him to speak into your character. Words like those in Philippians 4 and verse 8, whatever is pure, lovely, holy, true, think about these things. How is the way that I live, the words that I say, the attitudes I have, the underlying kind of person that I am, how is this reflecting Jesus Christ? In what sense is God speaking into who I am that I may be formed and reformed more and more after the likeness of Christ? Allow God to speak into your character. That means you need to give time to, to think a little bit about those things that might not be right. A little bit of examining of what you're doing and where your priorities are and reflecting on the days, the words that have gone well, the things that have gone well and those that have not gone so well. What can I do about that? What is God saying to me about the kind of person I am? Allow God speak to speak into your character. The fourth step is to ask God to direct your paths. The scriptures are quite clear that we should do that. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That was a verse from Proverbs 3, verse 6, that featured in one of our all-age services last year. Expect God to guide you. He may not put a map in front of you and uh, make the route very clearly highlighted. It may be more a step-by-step -step intuition. But as you trust and as you pray, and as you listen carefully, God will guide you to direct your paths. And then the fifth step is to keep an account of what is God is saying and what you are doing. Because this spiritual journey is serious. And if we don't do this, then we just stay as we are. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. Now again, the way that you keep account might vary from person to person. But make yourself accountable for the life that you're living. Maybe that means journaling, just writing a little bit down at the end of each day as to what you sense God has been saying to you and uh, how you are progressing. Maybe once a week, just take a few moments to step back uh, and write something. It may be that you have someone who you talk to particularly about the deeper things of life. Ultimately, we are accountable to God. But it is good that we draw others in to that sense of accountability, either by something we write or something that we say, so that we are intentional about listening to Jesus and growing in our faith. Peter, James, and John met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Whether your name is Peter, James, John, or none of those, you have the opportunity, and I have the opportunity, of meeting Jesus now. Because he's not far away. We don't have to ask him to come. We know he's here. And as he lives among us through his spirit, he wants to speak into our hearts. And he wants to redirect our lives.